This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd and co-host of this here podcast. And I'm with Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, I'm Chris Gwaltney. I'm the chief executive nerd for Love Thy Nerd. And uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to who we have today because I really, really enjoy their games. You're a bit... You're a big Banner Saga fan, right? Yeah, so big of a fan that I haven't finished the series yet, but I'm trying. It, 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 it just it's came a, out on Switch, and right. so I prefer everything that I do to be on the Switch. So now I have to start over and buy the whole thing. So thanks a lot. Yep. <laughs> well, we're joined with Matt Rhodes, who is the, uh, I think your title is creative director? No, I'm lead designer. Lead designer. Okay, lead Same designer. Difference. Just Is it the same difference, Matt? Uh, no, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we want to be clear here. So uh, you're the lead designer on Banner Saga on, on the whole series, right? You've worked on all three games. So I did not work on the first game. I came in on Banner Saga 2. Okay, okay, that's right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, so you've just released Banner Saga 3. Yes. And that must be pretty exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's for one thing, it's the end of the trilogy. So it finally kind of wraps everything up after two games worth of cliffhangers. Uh, it really kind of brings everything to a very final conclusion. And, uh, and you know, it's found ominous at all. <laughs> well, it's, it's as ominous as your choices have made it. I guess it would be the thing to say about that. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really satisfying to feel like, bam, you know, we nailed it. Hopefully, you know, we definitely feel like we reached a satisfying ending to it. And and that's, that's a good feeling. So the decisions players made in the game one and game two are all coming to bear on game three. Yeah. Right? Every, everything carries over. So that's probably pretty easy to design. Right. <laughs> It is, uh, it is very complicated. You know, first of all, obviously, we've made, there was, a, there was a plan for all three games in terms of sort of an overarching story and things like that, but we didn't necessarily know exactly which choices were going to be the important choices when the first game was made, or even yeah. when the second game was made, so... You know, there's a lot of kind of going back and forth and looking at all the choices that we have access to and and trying to kind of parse out how do they play into, you know, the events at, at the end. Um, and trying to make sure that lots of your choices really continue to feel impactful and, and meaningful over the over the course of the whole game. Uh, it, it was definitely a, a very challenging thing to do. Um, but, you know, we're lucky to have um, a couple of really good writers. Um, Alex was one of the founders of Stoic, and he wrote also the third game. 
We also had uh, Drew McGee, who wrote the second game, both incredibly talented writers. Um, and they have really done a great job of just threading this narrative in and out, you know, and, and accounting for all these choices again and again and again. It's It's been really cool to sort of see how it all comes together. I think it's neat to kind of keep it fluid like that. Instead of, you know, mapping everything out, you know, for games one, two, and three right from the get-go and like pigeonholing yourself, I think it's kind of neat that it seems like you try to remain a little bit fluid. I mean, you had a general idea of like, okay, this is where we're going, but, you know, to sort of adapt and be flexible as each new game came out to to see how that all played out. That's that's super cool. Yeah, and, and one of the cool things is, you know, this is a game that has its origins with our community. You know, we kickstarted the first game, we kickstarted the third game as well. Um, and to kind of look at, what our fans are thinking about and musing over and puzzling over and sort of saying, Oh, you know, a lot of people really feel like moment X was, was important to them. And we got to make sure that we pay that off, (laughs) you know? So we've really been able to, I think be pretty responsive to our community, which is a cool thing as well. Do you, I don't know if this is possible technically or whatever, but do you guys have data on like the choices that people make throughout the games? Uh, yeah, we have some, we, we have some Google analytics that are incorporated into the game. We don't see at a super granular level, oh, you know, 90% of our players chose this option. Yeah. But, uh, but we do see some kind of insights about, uh, you know, what battles people completed and things like that. So it's, it, it's higher level. Uh, I, I wish that we had, uh, that granular of data, but, uh, it's just, there are a lot of, you know, if you start trying to capture that many data points, uh, it gets really cumbersome really, really quickly. Now that the trilogy is complete, what, you know, what kind of, like, what has that process been like for you to take this, you know, this thing that you guys have, I know it's two games for you, but, um, you know, obviously building a game built on the first game, you probably feel like you, you, you worked on a trilogy, mm-hmm. you know, um, how does that that feel to now have completed something that uh, you know, people? I think I never hear people say bad things yeah. about banners. Like, I don't think I could tell you what people don't like. I'm sure you could tell us what yeah. people don't like. About <laughs> but but I mean, people love this game. It's it's been a huge um, success, and I think one of the first big Kickstarter successes too in the video game world, like the original. You know. Yeah, was, yeah, it was definitely one of the first real Kickstarter successes in the kind of the early days of Kickstarter. Um, you know, it's, it's really very satisfying to be, this is going to sound wrong, but it's really satisfying to be done with it. (laughs) Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that there's a real sense of pride and, you know, accomplishment that we actually finished it. You know, I, I think that, uh, there were, it's not that there was ever seriously in doubt, but, you know, we, we really struggled with how are we going to make sure that this all comes together? And so, yeah, it, it feels really good to, uh, to have gotten all three games out, to have them, 
be as, uh, you know, that people like them as much as they do uh, is, is also a great feeling. I mean, I don't know too many people who get into video games to get rich. I mean, it happens every once in a while, but you know, you get into games because you love games and you want to entertain people, I think. And so Mm -hmm. um, for it to have touched people and for people to, you know, feel like it resonates with them as, as much as it seems to is a really great feeling. And you guys seem to have maintained too, like a really, uh, I think you and I talked about this. You and I chatted at PAX East a while Mm -hmm. back. Um, and you were on the, uh, PAX East compilation interviews podcast that we did. Um, but you know, you guys seem to have maintained a really like positive, uh, relationship with your community, which I know, like, it's not uncommon for game designers and, uh, you know, studios to get crossways with uh-huh. their, with the community. Yeah. Uh, but you guys managed to not do that. And also to just maintain, I think, this really, like, strong relationship with people where they felt like they were heard and, and valued. But at the same time, you know, you guys made your own game. It wasn't just giving people what they wanted. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I wish really I, I wish I could take uh, a lot of credit for that. I mean, I feel like so much of it is just that we we really lucked out and we have an incredible community. And I mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how we managed to do that. I think maybe part of it is that you know we made a game that I think skews a little bit towards an older demographic and maybe a little bit more of a mature demographic. Right, um, sure. And that, that may be part of it, but, you know, we just have a, an incredibly great community and, you know, in some ways it, it just sort of seems like it appeared by magic and, and we're just sort of the beneficiaries of it. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things, especially with the third game is that we really have tried to, to nurture that community a little more. We hired a community manager. We really started trying to make sure that we're not taking that wonderful community for granted. Uh, you know, with this, when we did the second game, we did not kickstart it. We completely self-funded it and we kind of just went dark for a couple of years. Yeah. And I think there was a feeling that that ended up feeling like it was a little bit disrespectful to people who were, you know, mm-hmm. stuck with us and, and, uh, and been, you know, kind of waiting eagerly for the next version to just kind of not be communicating with them and and letting them know where we we're at. Started feeling like, eh, that's not really how we want to do things. So, um, yeah, There's we definitely level, It's a different level of accountability with Kickstarter. It, you know, it like, is. Well, <laughs> the, best, yeah. the best people that are making stuff on Kickstarter feel that accountability of like, okay, these people, like, they put their money here and we've got to deliver, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. That's right. People are, are, you know, they're, they're kind of pre-ordering on faith, I guess you'd say, you know, cause they're pre-ordering something that doesn't actually exist yet. And, uh, and they're, they're counting on you to make sure that you actually follow through on, on what you promised them. So yeah, we take that very seriously. And that's cool because I think, you know, we obviously know the horror stories that have happened 
on Kickstarter, but yeah. I think you guys are the opposite example of that where there can be a really healthy relationship between developers and backers and it can be a really beneficial to both parties, you know, like what you guys have experienced and I know what your community has experienced as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kickstarter is a great platform and it's it's a great way for something that is a little more of a niche game that is maybe something that uh, larger publishers especially are going to feel like, well, is there really enough of a market to justify this? You know, it's a way for people to very directly say, we, we want this thing and we'll pay for it. Um, and, you know, we'll fund its development. Um, and I think the, the thing, the, in the early days of Kickstarter, I think there was a little bit of a, maybe not a misunderstanding exactly, but a lot of people who were investing in Kickstarter, uh, campaigns in those early days didn't really necessarily understand what they were doing. (laughs) Um, just in the sense that they, it was a new platform and they just didn't get that this is not a thing that actually exists yet. You know, there are some yeah. actual risks involved here that you are yeah. investing uh, as opposed to just sort of, you know, it's not like going to GameStop and just dropping your 60 bucks down and saying, oh, right. well, when it comes up, I'll pick it up. Um, so I think that, you know, there have been some really kind of, you know, situations that have turned out badly for some of these campaigns and i'm i'm obviously not happy that that has happened but i am happy that i think that in general the people now who who are putting money into kickstarter are a lot savvier about where they put their money and and how they you know they they understand the risks in in a better way and i think that they are evaluating projects uh, with some of the in mind a little more, which I think is, it's a good thing. It's a sign that the platform is kind of uh, maturing and and kind Mm -hmm. of reaching a place where it's going to be sustainable without, you know, catastrophe striking all the time. We have another special guest. I don't want to forget to introduce uh, before we, we forget here. So, um, and he's been, been waiting very patiently, uh, (laughs) On the podcast here. I've actually just unmuted my mic, so I've actually been yelling and screaming the whole time. So uh, anyway, Chris, uh, explain what we're doing here. You, you're always the one that explains this. Yeah, I'm so good at it. You uh, are very good at it. So we are part you know, of a larger network called Love Thy Nerd. And part of that network are super generous, wonderful people that support us every month to help us do what we do, help us do our podcasts and content on our website and go to conventions and just help influence this culture in a loving uh, way. And one of those supporters is here with us. And that's Clint. You heard him a little bit earlier. And uh, what we do is we invite those supporters every now and then onto our podcast to ask our guests a question. And we knew Clint, like he's a, he's a big fan of Banner Saga um, and actually has some pretty cool questions to ask. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Clint. Oh, thanks. Uh, and also, thanks, Clint, for supporting us. <laughs> yeah. That means You're welcome. Way. All my monies. Um, so, uh, Matt, it's a, actually really a pleasure to get to, to ask a few questions for you, from you because, uh, like Chris said, I actually discussed Banner Saga 
uh, with Chris many, many years ago on a trip at DragonCon. And I was like, man, this game is awesome. And I'm a game developer, and it actually really heavily influenced uh, the battle system, at least, that I created. Um, and it's very, so it's just really kind of cool to, to get to talk to someone who's um, worked on it. Awesome. Um, but the question I want to ask specifically is, and I think you kind of hinted at this, is Banner Saga is definitely geared towards a, a more mature audience. And mm-hmm. with that, you had the opportunity to have uh, a lot more like uh, gore or um, sexuality or, or language. You know, that could have been like, you know, offensive to some, but it also could be a little more edgy. But mm-hmm. it seems that, and I haven't played the third one yet because, like we've said before, I'm on Linux and it hadn't come out on Linux yet. But, uh, or it might not, but it, anyway. But what I love about the first two is that, like, it's visually beautiful and, and amazing and attractive to me as an adult and as an adult player. It's clearly not something that my kids are going to play, but it's not, right. it's not one that I have to be like, oh, kids, you can't be in the room while I play this game. right and uh, i really really appreciated that and i just wanted to hear your thoughts on like how intentional that was like the process behind doing that what what did you guys decide and and that's kind of my main question yeah and that is that is definitely something that we discussed i mean it's not you know it's obviously not an action game in that in that sense so in some ways there wasn't necessarily a place for a lot of gore i mean in the battles i guess we could have put that in but you know we were really in a lot of ways especially artistically uh inspired by the look of uh ivan earl who was an animator for disney and specifically you know the backgrounds are very heavily inspired by his background paintings for sleeping beauty um, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, so there's a heavy kind of Disney influence, and obviously, <laughs> I, I think that too much, you know, blood and gore would have been would have been kind of out of step tonally with with the look we were going for. Um, but also, you know, the story that we wanted to tell, as dark as it is, and as mature as it is, in in kind of the the real sense of that, you know, word. Um, You know, I don't think any of us were really interested in telling an edgy story. I I think that that wasn't really, it just wasn't what we wanted to do. I mean, I don't have any problem with, you know, games that want to do that. And I've certainly enjoyed plenty of very violent games or games that have sexual content in them. But it wasn't. It just wasn't what we were doing. You know, it would. It would have actually, I think, ended up distracting from the the deeper kind of sense that we were trying to build into this world. You know, this the it would have undermined the the bleakness and desperation that you're confronted with in the game to you know just kind of start mm-hmm. making it about, you know, oh, I just scored a kit- critical and, you know, Gibbs everywhere, Gibbs everywhere, <laughs> however that word is pronounced. Uh, you know, it, it, it would have been really just totally wrong for the game, I think. I mean, it's a game about a displaced people that are, uh, you know, um, like there's a lot of loss in the game, but it's not like, um, 
well, I guess one of the things I appreciate about it is it's not trying to make any of that like feel like sexy, for lack of a better word. You that's know exactly I mean? that's kind of what I was asking, and I appreciate what you said about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which, yeah, and I appreciate that too because it's like you know, um, being forced out of your home and like migrating migration. These things are not like easy on people, and they're not like the the game doesn't make those things feel cool. It makes it feel appropriately like there's a sense of loss. I think pretty constantly throughout the series, which I, and I, I, and I think at the, the very first one, the like almost pseudo romance between the mayor's wife and oh my, I can't remember the guy's name. You know, but it wasn't ever anything that was so overt. It was just like this struggle together that we're you know drawing together without it actually being anything overt. And I thought that was like kind of kind of amazing to me to, to see that play out without it being something that goes one way or the other. Like it didn't look too sweet because it wasn't sweet. They were struggling and having a rough time. And, but it also wasn't, you know, like, Hey, let's go find a tent. And I thought that was just really, really great, right. great balance. And, and yeah, I think you're talking about uh, Rook and, and uh, oddly. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah. And, and that relationship, you know, you have a chance if you want to, to kind of develop that relationship over the course of the three games. Um, but yeah, it is something where we didn't, you know, everything I think feels very natural in its pacing. You know, nothing is kind of rushed. Nothing is, you know, we're not trying to cram everything into a two hour movie, you know, so we're not compressing time really. It's, everything feels very much like it comes out of a logical flow of events as they're happening and as your choices are dictating. Well, thanks so much, Clint, for coming on, man. It was a good question. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Clint. Well, Matt, talk to us about, uh, because I know this is not your first game. You've worked in the games industry prior to to getting involved with Banner Saga. Uh, What did you do before? Uh, so I started my uh, game career uh, doing QA at Interplay back in the Stone Ages. Oh, nice. Uh, and I did a stint uh, in QA and doing editorial work at uh, Square in the Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX time period. Okay. Uh, and That's then cool. uh, I was a game designer on the uh, the first two uh, Spider-Man movie games for Treyarch. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, just did a lot of superhero games after that. I worked on the uh, Incredible Hulk movie game. I worked on the DC Universe Online. Um, Epic Mickey 2. to play the new Spider-Man yet? Yes, it's fantastic, thankfully. It? It's, it's actually the first Spider-Man game I've picked up since uh spider-man 3 spider-man the the first movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was not a, not a good game and i have to take <laughs> some blame for that but uh <laughs> but yeah this is a the new one is fantastic i am i feel like it's the first game that really uh builds on some of what we were doing with the with the swinging mechanics mm-hmm. and it tells a cool story, and there's a there's a lot of great stuff going on with it. I, I'm really happy with it. So you said you then you worked on Epic Mickey too, yeah. and then what else? That's most of it. I mean, it takes a while to make a game, so you yeah, know, yeah. one of the things as a developer is that you're always having to think. Well, I only have a finite number of these that I'm going to get to make. So is that part of what motivated you to 
to get involved with Banner Saga? So Banner Saga, yeah, I mean, being independent, this is my first time with an independent studio, and it is pretty amazing, you know, at the... It is both incredibly scary and incredibly liberating at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, we are 100% accountable for everything that happens with our games. So, you know, mm-hmm. every choice we make, you know, there's no layers of bureaucracy that that choice is going to go through. It's just, right. it's us making that decision and, and then living with it. So. Buck stops with you guys. Yeah, exactly. So there's a powerful sense of responsibility that comes along with that, but it's also really amazing to say, you know, I feel good about this choice. I feel like it's the right choice, so this is what we're going to do. And there's no one who's going to second-guess that. You know, if I can convince the other people in the room that it's the right choice, then that's what we're going to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's got to be exciting a lot of times. I mean, I know it's sort of intimidating as well, but I mean, that's it's got to be a, a nice yeah. it, change of pace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think my feeling is that starting out, I'm really glad that I had the, uh, you know, sort of the apprenticeship of working at mm-hmm. big studios. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really useful to kind of, learn on someone else's dime like that. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, having, having sort of paid my dues, it's, it's definitely nice to be independent and to Mm -hmm. have the freedom to make something that I'm personally excited about. I'd be curious to hear, like, what are you, um, what are you most proud of about this, you know, this new chapter of working on uh, being lead designer on Banner Saga three and working on the Banner Saga team. Um, what are you most proud of now that the trilogy is complete about this project? I think the thing I'm most proud about is that it feels to me, and obviously this is a kind of a personal judgment, so I don't know if others would agree with this, but for me personally, I feel like every game has been better than the last. And Mm -hmm. I feel like every game we've taken what we learned previously We've built on it. I feel like the battles in three are better than the battles in two, which are better than the battles in one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like the storytelling has constantly kind of, uh, you know, pushed itself to be a little bit better than it was previously. And that sense that as the stakes have uh, raised up, uh, that the quality of the game has kind of kept pace with that uh, mm-hmm. has, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of that. You should be. That's, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. And I, and I think like the fact that uh, you feel that way is probably evidence that you guys managed to like, because it should feel that way. If you're really building on the decisions of previous games, which we talked about before is like right. a super hard, um, a super hard thing to pull off that a lot of people don't pull off super well when they try. Well, a lot of people don't even try because it's so hard. Right. <laughs> it is, and but, it is uh, really hard. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not sure we would do it again, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it, it is a very challenging thing to do. And, you know, I, 
I, I have tons of respect for, you know, the folks at Bioware, for example, and, and you know, what they did. With- I was just thinking of Mass Effect. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I love the Mass Effect trilogy. And I think I only played the last game after they'd kind of patched in a lot of additional <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, so my experience is maybe not the same as someone who picked it up on, on launch day and, and was disappointed by it. But I feel like within the constraints of, you know, a mass market, super expensive, uh, triple a kind of game experience, I think they really actually did a pretty good job of, of trying to get players choices, in there mm-hmm. in various yeah. ways mm-hmm. but you know when every when everything you do costs millions of dollars <laughs> it's really hard to say oh well if you made this choice two game games ago we're just not going to let you see this whole section of the game that we're making right. you know that's that's a tough sell and i mm-hmm. so you know I think that Bioware gets slammed a lot for some of the compromises that they've made along the way, but I'm not sure that anyone could have done better under the circumstances. So uh, I, I have a lot of respect for those guys. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I might be wrong about this, but uh, certainly at that scale, they're the first ones to do anything like that with the choices like carrying over and stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it, it it was incredibly ambitious and you know if they didn't if they didn't hit it 100% then it's not for lack of trying yeah it's interesting how like how crossways people and how crossways like ea in general i think has gotten with gamers these days yeah um and i can't like like i know i almost hesitate to bring it up because i know there'll be somebody who listens to this podcast who they're gonna click Whatever. unsubscribe before you even finish. Yeah, your just because, just because we, I say something slightly like sympathetic, um, which kind of proves our point. Right. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I think one of the things that people don't think about with regard to games in general and game design, a lot, a lot of fans don't think about it, is like how freaking hard they are to design uh, when you're when you're designing something that you're going to hand over to the player and let them, you know, make decisions and impact the systems in certain ways. Um, and that, like we talked about, care, letting decisions carry over from game to game is a super like difficult thing to design. And um, yeah, when you're talking about potentially keeping content out of the hands of players, yeah. like, I mean, and something that you're pouring your, like, even, like so let's say, let's say uh, Mass Effect was made by an independent studio, which would never that like a game that size would never happen. But even if it was like, even if quote unquote evil EA <laughs> was not involved in it, right. like um, you'd still f- face that temptation to be like, well, I don't want people to miss out on this just because they made decision uh, a instead of decision B in the last game. Yeah. You know? I mean, a- and that is something that we did do. And, you know, we, we do have things, battles, you know, whole conversations, you know, it's not, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that many members of your caravan who are important heroes and, and fighters within, within the caravan can die <laughs> over the course of the story permanently. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so as a result, you know, 
we are constantly writing not just conversations, but whole story arcs for characters that, you know, a lot of players may just not have. Uh, And, you know, there are whole sections of the game that players, yeah, just may not see based on their choices. And Mm -hmm. there, there is, you know, we kind of embrace that. uh, But, you know, every once in a while, even players will get upset that they feel like they missed out on something based on the choices that they made, that they didn't get to see something, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it, it is, it's, 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 it's a hard, it's a hard choice to make. Just tell them to go all the way back to game one. <laughs> and start over <laughs> again. Exactly. Yeah, they can get it. Exactly. Um, Replay value. Well, hey, um, we do like to talk about kind of more personal things than maybe your typical podcast. And we'd like to hear about you. Like, where'd you grow up and what was that like? Uh, I grew up, I was born in New York. Uh, I grew up in uh, New Jersey and then Northern California. Okay. Uh, and so you say you were born in New York, you mean like New York City? New York City. I was born in, in okay. Manhattan, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I grew up in New Jersey and, and, uh, and Northern California. We moved to Northern California when I was about 10. Okay. Uh, and so which of those places do you think of as home? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't really think of any of them as home. I, I'm not someone who is especially tied to places. So, I mean, I've, I lived probably the longest in Southern California and, and in Austin, Texas, which is where I am now. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not tied to a place that much, I guess. I, I don't have a lot of sentimental feelings about Northern California or New Jersey. What did your, uh, what did your parents do growing up? Uh, my dad was, uh, he was in publishing for a long time. Um, he's kind of, he's an entrepreneur and he's been in a lot of different types of business, but, uh, he was at Doubleday, uh, when we were in, on the East coast and then he, uh, he was involved. Which is like a trade, trade book publishing, right? Doubleday. Doubleday does all kinds of publishing. They, they do, uh, They do, yeah, they do fiction and nonfiction and the whole thing. I mean, I honestly, I'm not even sure if they still exist because, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation in the publishing world, but uh, they were at one time a huge publisher. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when he moved out to Northern California, he, uh, he took over PC World Magazine and actually was involved in starting uh, Macworld Magazine. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. Did did he have always have like an interest in tech and stuff like that, computers and stuff? Uh, you know, he I think he's interested in it. He's not necessarily <laughs> he's not necessarily super proficient with, with okay. tech, but uh, but I think So he's like every other parent ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of phone calls for uh, tech support. That's yeah. awesome. I was just wondering if that like influenced you to him, you know, working on those magazines, if that influenced you to get into game design and stuff. Uh, it gave me access, but I think my, my love of games actually stems from playing uh, Atari games over at friends houses when I was little. And just, I immediately fell in love with just the experience of playing games yeah, and 
and once I, you know, I, I, I think my relationship with video games as a kid was probably bordering on extremely unhealthy. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean that that passion just never really went away, and so you know, at some point it dawned on me that actual human beings create these things that they don't just <laughs> appear out of the ether. And, and that became right. my, my life's work. Then you learned you could get paid for that unhealthy. Obsession. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, uh, growing up in New York and Jersey and California, uh, was, was religion a part of that? Did you grow up in a religious home? Uh, no, my mom just, she, never was anything but uh, an avowed atheist. Um, my dad sort of, you know, he hedged a little, he, he claimed to be agnostic, but, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I think I kind of hedged for a while too, before I just said, you know, I'm just, I'm really just being, I'm not being honest with myself about what my beliefs are. And yeah, I'm, I am a confirmed atheist. Okay. Confirmed, so, confirmed in the atheist church. Confirmed in the atheist <laughs> tradition, exactly. You did like atheist confirmation. <laughs> Baptized in just tap water. Yeah. <laughs> New York tap water. So it's exactly. Pretty good. It's pretty good tap water. Exactly. Um, so you grew your mom was an I guess some of that's probably from your mom's influence, but um, we, you just kind of always just never remember having a time where you struggle thought about like do i believe this stuff or was it always kind of like you just always kind of didn't ever have a strong connection to faith or, or god or anything like that or i'm just yeah you know it's process. really interesting i i give my parents a lot of credit they never tried to impose uh their belief system on me i certainly asked them lots of questions about religion my mom said you know if you're curious to go to church we will take you so there was never a sense that it was... It wasn't like this danger. They no, were no, no, no. It was nothing like that. But I, I probably, like my parents, am naturally skeptical. Um, you know, they, they also never, you know, tried to convince me that there was a Santa Claus or anything like that. And mm-hmm. um, I think the closest that they, they came is, you know, we did just sort of play the hide your tooth under the pillow uh, uh, and the yes. tooth fairy will come. But, you know, I think it's sort of telling that by, even by the time I was hiding those teeth, you know, the first time I hit, put the tooth under my pillow, great, everything's fine. Second time I started moving the tooth around, like putting in different spots in the room to see if yeah. the quote unquote tooth fairy would find it. And until I eventually found a spot where, you know, where it was not located. And Um, so, you know, I just always had the kind of skepticism. uh, And uh, so it was really very much sort of a a process on my end, uh, just sort of saying, well, what is it that I believe? What is it that's important to me? And, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just figuring that out on my own. Well, would fall into that category for you of what's important to you, what you, what, what you like, maybe not religiously, but what you believe about the world or about life. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely would categorize myself as sort of a secular humanist, um, which is to say, you know, I, I feel like 
there's a lot more that connects us as people than than separates us and i really hate kind of tribalism it's one of the things that kind of frustrates me a lot about a lot of organized religion is the sense that we people end up being divided into the people who are like us and the people who are not like us and I feel like that's counterproductive, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, there's so much that connects us. And, you know, because I don't believe that there's an afterlife or anything, I, I feel like it's really important that we try to minimize suffering and, and try to make sure that the lives that people live while they're here are, you know, as, as positive as possible. Um, so I think that's sort of the core of my personal belief system. I, you know, I, I have to admit that it's not necessarily something that I think about as much as maybe I should. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I definitely, I get caught up in my day-to-day life where I, you know, distract myself with things. And um, I never do that. Yeah. No. No, I'm sure I'm, I'm totally unique in that regard. I'm better than you. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, we, we need to look out for each other because mm. yeah. I, I don't think there's anyone else looking out for us. You know, what's such a bummer to me is that, like, everything you just described is the way Christians are supposed to be. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, pushing against, uh, you know, marginalizing people and pushing against that tribalism stuff. Like that's everything that, you know, Jesus taught about and yet it's rarely seen in Christians. Uh, especially in the United States. I, I think that, yeah. you know, the, the U S flavor of, of Christianity has, has definitely, you know, things like, oh, well, you know, if you believe the right thing, you'll automatically be successful and rich and stuff. It's like, where did that even yeah. come from? <laughs> you know, it just seems so... Joel Osteen, that's where it came from. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> well, there's lots of guys before him. <laughs> yeah. But but it's so self-serving. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get it because obviously if you are a wealthy, successful person to be able to say, oh, that stems from my moral righteousness is, that's a great thing to be able to say to yourself. And I'm sure it feels really good. Um, So, you know, I I get it. I I understand why people would want to believe that. I think though, I will push, because I think it's like a hot button issue these days, but for a lot of reasons, one being like the most recent election and, and, like the quote unquote evangelical vote and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So people have this really like, we think of the church primarily as pretty tribal and pretty like, um, yeah, like in in some ways, in some senses, like holier than thou or, 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 or whatever, like in those terms. But I also think that that's what you see or that's what we see in general in the media. And so like the really like genuine pockets that are out there of, Christianity where people really are being 
like less self-serving and really do care about their neighbors and are just going about like trying to do good work in the world. And yeah, right. No, I absolutely agree with that. I I think there are, that doesn't make headlines. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with that. I, I think that there are lots and lots of people of faith that are operating not only with good intentions, but doing genuinely good things. And I, I have tremendous respect for that. Yeah. 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 And I wasn't so much contrasting you as Chris. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, uh, I didn't but yeah, get to finish my thought. It you know, there's there's shitty Christians just as much as there are shitty atheists. Absolutely. And everything else in between, you know, like yeah, people. Right. People it's it's hard. the human condition. Some people are are just kind of garbage people. <laughs> <laughs> which um like i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this because i think in some ways like christianity attempts an answer to that problem like right with with people being terrible mm-hmm. and so like christianity says well the problem is that that people um are like inherently broken and need to be need to be made anew or whatever however you want to put that they need they need help they need god to like help them get get right or whatever without for lack of a better word um so i mean do you think about that with regard like with from your sort of like position as an atheist like how do how do we how do we help um you know people make better decisions how can we be less divided that kind of thing like is that something that you think about with regard to your work even and in in game design and that kind of thing well yeah i mean i think that First and foremost, I'm, I I am making games to entertain people, so it's not necessarily front of mind. But at the same time, sure. uh, there are definitely things that, if we can get people to think about certain themes or certain ideas, I mean, you mentioned you know this idea of uh, you know losing your home, of being an outcast. Uh, that yeah. is is so much a part of Banner Saga. And by the time you get to the third game, you know, there are lots of allusions to uh, refugees and, you know, what is the role of, you know, if you're not a refugee and they come to your doorstep, you know, what is your responsibility to those folks? Um, yeah, so it definitely can, you know, we are, we are part of the world and we are, you know, influenced by the things that we see and, and feel and believe. And, and so that definitely does come out in in the work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard feedback from people with regard to that? Like on the, cause that's obviously like a huge a uh, contentious issue in America right now is this dis- discussions about immigration. And obviously that's like it. I don't, I think Banner Saga one came out like before it, I mean, it was still an issue then, but it, not to the right. It hadn't been politicized in the same way. Right. Uh, I was curious of what you've heard from players and their experiences with that subject matter in your game. Surprisingly little. Uh, and, and it may be that it's just, you know, we're not trying to bash anyone over the head with it. So yeah. it may mm-hmm. be that it's just so much a part of the texture of the story that 
it it isn't something that people say oh they're they're making an allusion to this other thing and mm-hmm. and truthfully we weren't making a direct allusion to anything but it's obviously something that was on our minds because mm-hmm. uh because it is you know in in the world um but no i i mean i'm i'm actually kind of shocked at, at how little people have have kind of dissected that aspect of the of the story mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's that's interesting because maybe it has to do with the fact that they've been with these characters for for so long that you know they don't make those connections or, or for whatever reason but um but i do think that there's like a real like a lot uh, games are, I think, are increasingly tackling that subject, um, and some of it may have to do with the the you know politics, kind of you know the discussion around it. But uh, but I think it's super valuable to to have an interactive experience that touches on that subject because then it's not just like this issue that's out there in the world. Um, that we can look at and, and think of it in these really like black and white terms, but it becomes about, a, you know, you're controlling a band of people of nomadic people who are forced out of their home. And so like you just the act of, of being those people in a game, like taking on their, their persona for a bit can be, I think can be really meaningful in terms of just, you know, helping players remember this is a human issue. It's not just like it's not just this this political problem that we need to solve. Like it's the at the at the end of the day, this is it's a it's a people thing. Yeah, there's something to be said for like nuance in in storytelling and like I think you know Matt said you know we're not trying to bash anybody over the head and there's certainly games or movies or things that do that and it it immediately puts someone in a defensive position right? and it becomes much harder for anything to penetrate that wall. But when you use nuance in storytelling or narrative, that kind of stuff, like it, it eases people in to a different perspective, you know? And again, I've only played the first banner saga, but I, I mean, I do remember that from my playthrough is it's like, it's not an easy game from the sense of like the stuff it's dealing with, but I certainly don't think it tries to bash you over the head with anything. Like you just kind of get put in this position and you know, you have to survive. And uh, yeah, I think that's really special and something we need a lot more of. I think one of the things that games are potentially really good at is um, allowing people to experience empathy. Um, And you were asking, you know, what is, how do we get people to make better choices? And I feel like one of the things that, is most missing for a lot of people is, is a feeling of empathy, you know, that they, they aren't for whatever reason able to put themselves in another person's shoes, or it's uncomfortable to put themselves in another person's shoes. And so they, you know, willfully kind of resist that. And, um, you know, a, a game almost by its nature asks you to, step out of your world out of your life and to kind of inhabit this other person and make choices as this other person. Um, certainly a role-playing game does that. And so yeah. there is really this powerful opportunity 
to ask you to experience things from a different perspective. And I think that that really can be valuable. You know, I, you look at people who were, for example, profoundly uh, anti-gay until they find out that a friend or a family member is gay. And they have that moment where they say, oh, this actually, this is something that affects real people right. that I care about. And and now, now I have this moment where I, I suddenly understand things in a different way. And I, I don't, I think that's human nature to an extent, is that until something affects us directly, uh, we can abstract it in, in ways that maybe are, are detrimental. Um, yeah. So, but but games kind of can bypass that a little bit because they create a a group of characters that you do develop relationships with, that you do have a connection to. And then all of a sudden you start seeing things from, from that different vantage point. And I think that there's a lot of potential there for, for, uh, for games to have a very powerful influence through, through that. Are there any games that you've played that jump out to you that you think have done that like super well? You can't say Banner Saga. Uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't say Banner Saga. But uh, uh, I think Gone Home for me is okay. very much that. Um, Gone Home is a game that I went into with not low expectations, but not, not really any expectations. I wasn't sure what to expect. Yeah. And I started playing and I was like, okay, this is... This is interesting, but uh, by the time I got to the end of it, I'm not going to spoil it, but I was uh, just desperate to make sure that (laughs) things turned out okay. And it was such a powerful experience to play through the game and, you know, to really feel a connection to someone that I had never met and had no real world kind of emotional attachment to. Yeah. And to feel that so powerfully was, was really incredible. Uh, I think gone home for me is the closest that games have ever gotten to, uh, to a novel maybe Mm. Um, in that, you know, lots of things are presented to you but there's very little direct interpretation that's provided by the game. It's all about you reading things and looking at things and drawing your inferences uh, from what you see and hear and, and read. And I think that it makes it an incredibly powerful experience. I think the first time I remember having that kind of flooring experience was with uh, The Witcher 3. And I mean, it's a, you know, pretty gnarly game uh, just in terms of like brutality and darkness and everything. But I just remember this moment, you know, you're you're confronted with this choice of either like offing this dude or letting him go. Mm -hmm. And he's a nasty dude, like particularly brutal towards women and like just rape and murder, like all kinds of awful stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me in that moment of like, man, because I wanted to just whack the guy like 
I was so enraged <laughs> and just wanted to see him suffer and die mm-hmm. for what he had done. And it just gave me this like really heart wrenching moment of like, man, that I have the same darkness I'm seeing in him is inside of me, mm-hmm. you know, and that gave me pause. Mm-hmm. I actually can't remember what I even decided. <laughs> that would probably make the story better. Uh, yeah. But I don't even think that was the point. You know, I think the point was that it created that empathy. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Empathy for a person that didn't, uh, you would never want to, to empathize with, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Gone Home was definitely, I had a similar experience with it as well, where um, I really cared about how it played out because I think that game did such a great job of treating its characters and the environment really too as this place inhabited by like really complex people with complex problems. And um, I think that, that it's, I think it's pretty special in that regard. Like I think the problems, the way games characterize their main characters a lot of times is really simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's, that game's a great example of, of very nuanced characters that you end up um, caring a lot about. Like, even the ones that are pretty, there's some pretty broken characters in that game that are like, made some bad oh, yeah. decisions and things that you come across. But you still, by the end, if you if you take your time to observe everything, you see things about them that um, it'll give you some perspective about why maybe they're that way. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't have you to you don't have them. to like someone to empathize with them, and just right. You know, yep. It can be useful. That's a great point. It can be useful to understand where someone despicable is coming from, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Have you ever played, I'm curious, one of my favorite, like, quote unquote, empathy games. Do you ever play um, Cart Life? A which game? Cart Life. No, I've never even heard of Cart Life. Okay, yeah. It won the, like, um, IGF Grand Prize several years ago. This was probably in 2012 or, or 11, maybe. Maybe even earlier. Um, anyway, it it's, yeah, you should check it out. It's, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of difficult, I guess, to get into initially, um, but it's it's wonderful in that regard. You play as uh, one of three characters that's just starting a cart business, so you can start like a hot dog cart or a coffee cart, and you're just trying to like make it, basically, as like a small business owner, essentially. Um, but you have to manage everything, so like. At the end of your workday, if you don't have enough coffee, like you have to go to the supermarket and like buy coffee. And like one of the characters is a single mom. So you also have to like make sure you pick up your kid from school Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So it's like um, it's probably doesn't sound super exciting, but it (laughs) is because because it does a great job of putting it all on you. So it's like, um, I don't know, but you just feel for people who are. Um, it, 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 I think produces empathy in the sense of giving you a vision of what it's like to try to, we, I think we think of our country as this really like pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of country, like where anybody can do right. anything, but we, but we don't think about people who are in a different place, like economically than we are and how difficult it can be and how much they're juggling. Yeah. Yeah. So right. really it's like, easy to, it's a lot easier to pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you have the privilege of coming from wealth and having a stable home and all this other stuff. 
Um, right. Papers, Please would also be on, on the list for me in terms of game. That, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Really just yeah. kind of, I mean, just, you know, it, it hits you over the head with the absurdity of it all. But, you know, at its core, it's just asking you to reconcile things that can't possibly be reconciled and, mm-hmm. and find some way to deal with it. It's, it's really interesting. Well, uh Thanks so much, Matt, for coming on the podcast. We've we've held you on uh, for almost or over over an hour here. So, and I know we we had technical difficulties and made a start late. So we don't want to respect your time. But um, thanks so much for coming on, man. Sure, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so people can find the Banner Saga on it's on nintendo switch it's on playstation pc xbox 3 uh, not 360 nobody <laughs> I, don't I don't play xbox so i that's why that slipped out xbox one uh but we love our xbox listeners if you're an xbox guy listening well. to this, we love you um well no. um but uh yeah i think i covered all the bases for for banner saga 3 yeah and we will eventually be out on on mobile we're still uh working on it that's actually Great. where i played the first one i think i played on my ipad okay yeah it's it's uh i i feel like switch is kind of the best of both worlds but uh but yeah it's it it translates okay to mobile as well it's not been out that long banner saga 3 so maybe you don't know what's next for you but i'm curious if you have any idea of of what's next for you guys after uh, are you going to continue working with stoic do you know what what's next for you so i'm continuing to work with stoic uh we are producing some DLC for the game, and uh, we have a survival mode that's going to come out very soon, and then we'll be working on something called Eternal Arena, which uh, will let players kind of make their own battles. Um, and uh, we'll kind of go forward with Banner Saga from there. Um, we're not ready to announce what our what our next non Banner Saga project will be, but uh, it is something that uh, we've been working hard on for a, a month or so now, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So uh, we'll definitely have announcements in the future about it. Well, cool. Where where can people find you on the internet aside from obviously looking at Banner Saga online? Uh, I am on Twitter uh, at mb roads. Cool. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drudixon82. Chris is not on Twitter, or he is, but he doesn't use Just it. Just follow me. So, Let's see how many followers I can yeah. get without tweeting. Follow Chris on Twitter. Um, and you can follow Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias. Just search for Love Thy Nerd. Uh, we also have a great Facebook community, so just search for Love Thy Nerd Community on Facebook to get plugged into that. Um, we have a great podcast network. Uh, so this is not the only Love Thy Nerd podcast. We also have Free Play, which is, um, we do a lot of things on that show, but just talk about all things nerd culture, and uh, and it's a lot funnier than this show. So definitely go check that one out. That's it for us. Uh, thanks again, Matt. 